Happy 2023. This is FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan of CNET. Welcome to the first episode of the new year. Last week, South Korea's Jisyuk Lee won the Pokemon BGC San Diego Regional for the recently released Scarlet and Violet video game. He won the tournament with an 8-2 grand final finish. While the Pokemon video game series has been around for the past two decades, the competitive scene hasn't grown with the same might as other titles like League of Legends or Rocket League. To talk about the Pokemon BGC is freelance reporter Yash Nair. Yash, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, let's, let's, let's jump into it. Explain how the competitive Pokemon video game works. Uh, is it like playing the Pokemon game casually in single player? Um, so, yeah. Uh, competitive Pokemon, uh, fundamentally, I guess you could say it's the same as uh, playing it on, on single player. Because mm-hmm. I guess the fundamental goal uh, of Pokemon Battles is just reducing your opponent's HP to zero and defeating your opponent's team, which is basically the same goal that you have in competitive, in competitive Pokemon. So on a very fundamental level, yes, the objective is the same, but um, competitive Pokemon is also very different when you look at it um, through all of its layers, because um, competitive Pokemon takes place in a format called VGC, and VGC is a double battle format, whereas I think if you go through the storyline of any Pokemon game, the most of the battles that you're going to face are single battles. Mm. So VGC is a double battle format, and on top of that, it's a four versus four format. So you're not going to bring all six of your Pokemon that you have on your team. Um, Each battle, after getting a look at your opponent's team, you're going to just select four of your Pokemon that you think will best fit for that matchup, and you're going to bring four of them to the match in a double battle format. And yeah, the simple objective is KOing all your opponent's Pokemon. That's how you win your battle. Interesting, interesting. So it's doubles and it's four on four. Or four, yeah. each, te- each team has four, four Pokemon yep. total. Yep, exactly. How long has the Pokemon video game been played as an eSport? Uh, I'm curious. Right, so it's actually been quite more than a decade right now because um, the first um, VGC, like uh, when it emerged as an eSport, the VGC tournament was back in 2009. So their first circuit started in 2009, and then the circuit ended with um, the World Championships in 2009. Before that, like tournaments were played, but they weren't in the VGC format, and they weren't official. Like they weren't hosted by TBCI, which is the Pokemon Company International. So yeah, it goes all the way back to 2009, and still continuing to this year, 2023. And generally, when it comes to finding competitions, are competitions largely local, regional, or I mean, are there? constant national events happening all around the world? So yeah, there is. there are local tournaments, there are regional tournaments, there are national and international. And then it ends with, um, you know, the biggest one, which is the World Championships. Um, but these uh, tournaments, the official ones, which are hosted by TPCI, um, they only take place in certain regions, like some regions of Europe, um, South Korea, USA, obviously, Japan. These are the few regions where TPCI officially holds these um, levels of tournaments. So, yeah, if you are a player from, let's say, India, where I am from, you'd have to travel a lot just to take part in um, these uh, tournaments, which is why you'll not see a lot of people globally. It's a little tough for them, but still, the dedicated ones would make, um, make it through. So, yeah, you have all these various levels of competition, which finally ends in the Worlds, which happens each circuit every year. 
I mean, what are the main storylines in competitive Pokemon? Who's like the Faker or Michael Jordan of uh, competitive Pokemon? <laughs> uh well that's a little um that's a little tough to pinpoint at this point because uh throughout the years there have been so many strong players that uh keep uh, rising and dipping in prominence um if you were to talk about the goat the greatest of all time i guess you could talk about ray rezo um currently he's uh, well he himself says he's in retirement but he's had some major accomplishments he's the 2011 world champion he's a 2012 world champion and he's the 2013 world champion so he's a back to back to back three time world champion which is unprecedented i'm sure in like even other games like being a three time back to back world champion is no laughing matter and um, apart from that there's a there's wolf lick uh, who's still uh, competing right now uh, he's won all official levels of tournament. That means regional, international, national, world champion. He's the 2016 world champion. Um, he's even won the Players' Cup, which recently came due to the pandemic. And because players couldn't travel physically, the Players' Cup was like an online replacement for Worlds uh, during the year 2020. So, yeah, Wolf Rezo. Here are some like really notable names. Recently, Eduardo Cunha won the 2022 World Championship, so he's also a name to look out for. And many more, honestly. It doesn't stop there. Uh, which, I mean, which countries tend to have, like, the strongest players? I would say Japan. Japan, like, funnily enough, uh, Pokemon is from Japan, so I guess the home country uh, is excelling in that regard. They do have the strongest players. Arguably, you could even say USA. USA and Japan are two of the countries that dominate most of the tournaments. Um, I would say Japan first, um, then comes USA, and then a lot of the European countries like Italy, Spain, they do amazing in tournaments. There's also Canada. Yeah, I would say these these handful of countries do really well. During the pandemic, a lot of uh, esports struggled to get events organized because, or they tried to do events online. And because of the nature of the internet and having lag and latency, fighting games were really difficult to pull off. Games like Counter Strike were having some issues as well. But given the nature of Pokemon, given that it's turn based, I guess it doesn't really matter. It's like playing a game of chess online, essentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, did, did the Pokemon community really um, have any issues during the pandemic? Or are they able to continue competing, uh, at least online, without any issues? Of course, yeah. Like the Pokemon community did face a lot of issues. The whole 2020. Um, even 2021 circuit, the competitive circuit was cancelled because of the pandemic because oh, players no, couldn't, yeah, yeah, like I mentioned, players couldn't um, travel to in-person events. And so since there were no regionals, there were no uh, internationals, not even worlds for two years, there was the Players' Cup, which was sort of like the replacement for worlds. Um, there was Players' Cup 1 through to 4, which were held through 2020 to 2021. Um, and yeah, uh, competitive play still uh, took place online in Sword and Shield because Sword and Shield lasted forever. So, um, 2022, uh, the circuit did come back. There was a circuit which led up to um, Worlds in 2022. Um, so yeah, we're back and 2023, uh, the World Championship is being held in Yokohama. So, if COVID doesn't come to bite us back in the butt, then yeah, I guess we're still good. Lee, who won the San Diego Regional, he flew in from South Korea all the way to California to win what was ultimately $3,000. Um, that doesn't sound like a, a lot of money. I mean, I, I assume half of his winnings just went towards travel and food. I mean, 
in terms of competition at these these events, I mean, what kind of money are we normally looking like? I mean, can somebody really play Pokemon full time as their career? Not quite evidently, as you pointed out, like his prize money for a regional event was three thousand dollars, and for worlds, last I know, um, I think it's twenty twenty thousand um, dollars. That's really not much if you're looking to go full time. So. I don't. Uh, since I myself don't go to in-person events, I wouldn't. I can't really talk about that. Um, I'm guessing you can't do it full time. They'll have to have some other sort of um, thing that they're doing along with being a Pokemon player. But yeah. if you're talking about Jisyok Lee um, and him flying all the way to um, San Diego, it's not only for the money. Like yeah, he did uh, profit a little bit. Even though his money went traveling food, he did get a little bit of profit. But yeah, is that worth it? It's not if you're just looking at the money. He also won CP, which is known as championship points. And um, CP is what you need uh, throughout the circuit. If you get enough CP, only then do you get an invite to Worlds. So yeah, all the regionals, internationals are uh, registration-based, whereas Worlds is invitation-based. And you need to earn CP at these events to get to Worlds. Are any of the top players sponsored uh, by any major esports teams or brands? I'm pretty sure you've heard of Beast Coast. Beast Coast, um, they host uh, players from various different games, not only Pokemon. So Beast Coast has Wolfflick, like I mentioned. There's James back in it, Aaron Cybertron, Zhang, as he's popularly known. Um, all three big names are hosted by Beast Coast. Um, there are a few others. There's Lazarus in uh, NA, another one. Uh, there's Vodafone Gaming in Europe, I think. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, uh, okay. some names like these. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it, Pokemon content. At least these competitors are they able to make content on YouTube and Twitch that builds a following and maybe makes them some money that way? Yeah. So when we're talking about Pokemon content, um, since we are on the topic of competitive Pokemon, yeah, that's more of a niche. The audience is much more um, narrow. So the scope for growing in terms of content when you're doing competitive Pokemon right now at least is not too high. Uh, but if I were to say something, I would say that uh, competitive Pokemon right now is the best that's ever been, um, at least in terms of growing and in terms of content. Like um, the fan base is bigger than it's ever been. So there is there are chances now for the competitive scene to grow more and the audience to grow more. But if we are talking relative to other games like the Giant, that is um, League of Legends, then no, it's really not that big. How much does Pokemon breeding play in developing strong Pokemon for competition? I, I, I remember talking to a friend years ago, and uh, he was just lamenting at how difficult it was to just find the right Pokemon to be born that can you know just give you the perfect stats. Is that still a thing that's happening in Scarlet and Violet? Yeah, breeding has always been a chore, a task. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, well, as the... As the generation passed, uh, they've made it much more easier and streamlined, especially for beginners to get into breeding and like getting a competitive ready Pokemon. Still, it's not the easiest. Like in um, Scarlet and Violet, they've introduced picnics and stuff like that. They've introduced more items to make it easier. Still, it's not the easiest method. And that, sure, that could scare away new players. But the thing is, in Sword and Shield, they introduced something called as rental codes, which um, are another player's already made team, they're an established team, probably a popular team, which is why the rental code is going around. You just plug in the rental code into your game and you get a ready-made team. So oh, if you're right. a, yeah, if you're a beginner, you can just use that team and just um, screw around on competitive ladders, see how you do, see if you like the game. And if you actually do like competitive Pokemon, then 
you yourself can can go about and making a team that you want to and you think it's worth investing your time in. Can you use rental? I guess rental Pokemon in actual competition. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, okay, well, if you're talking about actual competition like regionals and stuff, no, you would need to like uh, breed your own Pokemon, I guess, or like uh, get maybe ask a friend like trade already ready-made Pokemon. But yeah, you would need your actual Pokemon for in-person events and stuff like that. And I mean, how much? Um, how long would it take on average to like really build a competitively viable? It would take a while. I would say within a week, if you're looking for six Pokemon and a ready team, yeah. That is if you're going like leisurely, but you can get it done faster if you're really in a crunch. Do you have to level each Pokemon up to like level 100 or does the game just automatically do that in competition? Um, You can have your Pokemon at any level. They'll be, when you get them into into the tournament, they'll be auto-leveled to 50, which is like if you're playing in the VGC format, yeah. What what made Lee's strategy so unique? You know, as you, as you pointed out in your article, I mean, what did he do that uh, really caught his opponents off guard? Well, there's one thing that's com- very essential in Pokemon, uh, compared with Pokemon, which is speed control. You need to move first. Like that's the most essential thing. If you can move first, you can knock out your opponent first, and that's it. You can finish the battle. So what Lee's team had was no sort of speed control at all. There was no tailwind, which boosts your speed, doubles your speed. There's no trick room to reverse the speed order so that your slow Pokemon can move first. Instead, um, he chose this very unorthodox um, form of speed control, which was um, just priority moves. He had just a bunch of priority moves. Um, priority moves are basically moves that um, have an increased priority, so they will go before other Pokemon moves, no matter your speed. Mm. So he used these priority moves, which are there on four of his Pokemon, in conjunction with Another Pokemon signature move, which is Salt Cure, which slowly whittle down, whittles down your opponent's HP. So he would mm. use his really bulky Pokemon to stay alive and whittle down his opponent's HP and use priority moves on his other Pokemon to finish them off, which was a quite the unique um, yeah, tactic. Like you, you, you wouldn't see a single team without Tailwind or Trick Room in the whole competition so he really stood out from everyone else and he won which i think is super cool what was the fan reaction like did they like his strategy did they think it was a little cheesy no as in they did not think it was cheesy um everyone was pretty impressed honestly like um doing something that creative and cool um at a high level tournament like a regional is yeah you you need the cojones for that and everyone was pretty appreciative yeah yeah, I thought it was cool as well. You know, Scarlet and Violet had a bad launch. The reviews of the game were not the best. The game was buggy, had many performance issues, and the game just honestly doesn't look very good. Did any issues pop up in San Diego? No, not that I know of, honestly. Like, the game's uh, performance, yes, it is bad. It doesn't look good, I will admit that. Um, but I, I guess that's more when you're playing through the game because there's so much... Um, uh, pressure put on like there's a lot of graphical performance and stuff like that when you're playing through the game but when you're battling in competitive battling it's just one area right like there's not there's not a lot of performance that's um put on this on your switch console or through the game so no um i i, I don't think anything happened in san diego except for like there was a little mishap where the tournament's team builder um sort of leaked uh, new moves from the upcoming dlc 
which okay. was a little yeah which was a little funny but that wasn't really related related to scarlet and violet that was the that was the team builder in the in the tournament right it it wasn't part of the game so i you can't fault it to scarlet and violet so on youtube the stream had about 170000 views which isn't bad don't get me wrong but it's still not at the level of like you know higher tiered esports mm-hmm. and it's maybe a little surprising considering just how popular pokemon is it's still the most popular franchise in the world uh, do you see competitive pokemon developing a strong following in the coming years Yeah it's true that um Pokemon does not have a strong competitive following it's it's mainly because i guess um Pokemon is not seen through the lens of competitive battling like if you ask anyone about Pokemon i'm sure they'll never in a million years uh, think of the term competitive Pokemon at least to someone who's not privy to esports or something like that so um yeah uh, as far as if i see that this growth of course like I think the pioneers of growth for competitive Pokémon are the content creators and recently the content creators have been stepping up like one of them who is 2016 world champion like has been getting a huge following on YouTube recently and he's doing this by catering to the larger audience of Pokémon by talking about more widespread Pokémon concepts and through that he's sort of funneling them into v- uh, VGC and competitive Pokémon which I think is really cool uh, like I see the comment section of these uh, big pokemon uh, youtubers that are coming up and they are like oh you guys are the reason i'm getting into competitive pokemon and that really fills me with joy because i do want to see more people getting and learning about competitive pokemon so yeah in the mm-hmm. coming years i i do hope that it does grow well yash thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us a primer on competitive pokemon hey thanks about it is a pleasure to be here <laughs> and that was ftwf pod pond part of the dot esports podcast network if you enjoyed the show please rate and share Follow me and my work over at CNET. You can find me at Ahmad on Twitter. And with that, we'll catch you guys next week.